You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine and Director of the Digestive Disease Center at the Medical University of South Carolina, Dr. Mark DeLegge. Clostridium difficile, or C. difficile, can be challenging to treat, and patients often suffer from symptoms even after numerous antibiotic courses. An alternative therapy, the stool transplant, has proved to be an effective treatment for many C. difficile patients, yet the procedure is administered rarely. What is a stool transplant, and who can benefit most from it? Joining us to discuss the ultimate probiotic stool transplants is Dr. Timothy Rubin, gastroenterologist at St. Mary's Duluth Clinic Health System. Welcome, Dr. Rubin. Thank you. Tim, I got to ask you to start off with Clostridium difficile is a big problem for us. What are the typical symptoms we see with this infection? Well, as our audience knows, Clostridium difficile is a colon infection that most often acutely causes abdominal pain and a significant mucousy watery diarrhea. And unfortunately, the patients we're interested in, unfortunately, have those symptoms relapsing and recurring on and off for many months to sometimes years. And so it's the goal of a stool transplant and, of course, the goal of the preceding antibiotics to, to break that cycle. I've heard that in many hospitals and probably in some offices that C. difficile is basically a pandemic. I mean, it's everywhere. Why do you think patients are often resistant to our traditional antibiotic therapy? That's a very good question. And of course, not that easy to answer. The thought is at this point is that a couple of things is number one, as you said, the number of C. diff cases seems to be rising very quickly. And that's, of course, due to the number and the amount of antibiotics we use for many different reasons. And right now, a lot of thought is going into the spores that Clostridium difficile makes that are shed in high numbers in the stool of infected patients. And these spores can do a couple of things. Number one is they can live outside the body for up to four or five months and then be spread to somebody else and induce infection. Now, in an individual, these spores can be hard to treat. I've heard the term niche theory. And there's a niche somewhere, a little pocket somewhere in the intestines that holds these spores and the antibiotics we take to treat C. diff has a hard time getting at these spores. So that's one reason people have a difficult time treating it and can become recurrent. I've seen many patients, as you have too, who have kind of a recurrent infection, and frankly, sometimes they're very difficult to treat. So I'm going to have to ask you, what is this stool transplant procedure, and is this an outpatient procedure? And I have to ask you too, is there a stool transplant waiting list? The answer is yes. In terms of the stool transplant waiting list, we are getting at least 100 requests every month or so from around the country asking if they could be potential candidates for this therapy. And part of that is recently, as you noted, we've had some national exposure. So whether it's on TV, on Gray's Anatomy, or the newspapers, or some of the online health services, easy for potential patients to access this information as a potential treatment. And the stool transplant is an outpatient procedure. There's no hospitalization involved, and it's done right here in our own gastrointestinal clinic. And there's no invasive procedures involved. And exactly what it is, you take donor stool, so you take a healthy, usually family member, household member, related relative. We screen the donor for you know, C. diff infection in their stool, among other infectious blood or stool problems, 
and we infuse their prepared stool through a nasal gastric tube into the recipient's stomach. And this is about 30 to 50 cc's of prepared donor stool that then goes through both the small intestine and the colon and restores a more healthy biological balance and allows the C. diff then to be kept in its proper place, i.e. meaning not making toxins and avoiding symptoms. So the consent form for that, I can't, what was that like? Well, you know, we take it as it comes. A consent form is something that we've just developed slowly with experience. When somebody comes here, I do have them sign a consent. And one of the things I do tell them is that it's controversial, of course. It's an unusual therapy. It works very well. But if you go to different institutions, you'll get different opinions on the whole thing. And some will support it and some won't. Well, how was the procedure developed? When or where was it first performed? Well, that, I have to give credit to my predecessors, Dr. Hans Oss and Johan Bakken, one a gastroenterologist and one an ID doctor, who in the late 90s here at Duluth Clinic were seeing cases of recurrent C. diff, and they relied on some papers they had run across in their Norwegian Scandinavian literature. So in the early 90s, the Scandinavian literature had some case reports of using stool transplant for recurrent C. diff. Dr. Olson, Dr. Bakken, having come from that area of the world themselves, use that information to start doing it here in Duluth. And so when Dr. Olson, the gastroenterologist, retired, he asked if I wouldn't be interested in keeping up the work, in which I have continued to do what he started. So from the perspective of the nasal gastric tube, do you solubilize the stool? I mean, is it, is it dispersed in saline or water? That is correct. The stool then is obtained from the donor. It's usually a freshly deposited sample early in the morning. And it goes to our lab. And what they do is they mix it in a standard household blender, and they mix saline with it. And they spin it into a slurry, and then that slurry is run through a filter twice. And the liquid that's obtained, which is about 50 cc's usually, is just collected in a sterile cup, and that is what is the actual stool, the transplanted stool material. So it's not actually the bulk of the stool. No, it's, it's they, the... You know, fiber, food particles... Those are extracted out. It looks like chocolate milk. How about side effects? Are there any side effects from it? Well, we've done 70 cases, and at this point, we have no reports of any undue side effects. Most people have been sick for so long, and they feel well afterwards, so we haven't had any problems. Putting down an NG tube in the clinic and an awake person is the hardest piece of this. And I suppose the only undue side effect is we've had a few people get a little bloody nose as we attempt to pass the NG tube. But nobody's had any unusual infections, and people have avoided antibiotics in the future. And between the stool transplant and avoiding subsequent antibiotics, people have done well. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights from ReachMD Radio and XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark DeLegge, and joining me to discuss the ultimate probiotic, stool transplants, is Dr. Timothy Rubin, gastroenterologist at St. Mary's Duluth Clinic Health System. You know, I know this is very controversial, but frankly, this is a real problem for us, this recurrent C. difficile enterocolitis. So from my perspective, if I'm in my hospital or at my office, who are the best candidates that I should identify for stool transplantation? The best candidates are people who have a very predictable recurring story. So they took some antibiotic for some infection, an ear infection, abscess, tooth, sinus, whatever it may be, and they started on this cycle of C. diff. The people who do best with the stool transplant have received Vanco, usually up front, and did okay. 
but then just kept recurring very predictably. So like usually it's like about five to ten days after they finished the flagell, shoot, their C. diff came back and they were C. diff positive again. And then they received Vanco a time two, three, four, and again, same pattern. A week after they finished their course of Vanco, they have recurrent classic symptoms and a positive stool test. And when you see that pattern, and it's so predictable, when we do the stool transplant, that's when we stop that cycle from recurring the final time. So I take it these patients who arrive at your office are currently symptomatic. I mean, they're, they're not feeling very well. Yes and no. Some people are on Vanco right up until the time we do the transplant. And a lot of people do okay on Vanco. They just can't get off of it. And some people feel lousy even when they're on the Vanco or even on the flagellate. They have smoldering symptoms. So it, it goes both ways. Well, I have to ask, you know, how many patients at your office or clinic have received a stool transplant? And most importantly, have they had recurrent infections since then? Before I started doing this, Dr. Olson, Dr. Bakken, they published the first 18 cases. And 17 of those did fine. One person was elderly and actually passed away of unrelated causes. And as to my knowledge, none of those original 18 have had any recurrences. Wow. Now... We've done another 52 since then, dating back to July 2002. So we've done a total of 70. We do have a few that have, you know, recurred after the stool transplant. That's not really a risk, but it's one potential outcome. We have a success rate at this point of 85%. That's pretty good because more Vanco in this patient population has a success rate that's at best 10 to 20%. And so we offer a lot of hope for a minimal effort, so to speak. And when somebody has a recurrence afterwards, it's frustrating for everybody involved, of course. But our experience has taught us that subsequent antibiotics seem to work better. So even though you didn't respond initially to stool transplant, you become more responsive to further antibiotics. So luckily, these people who come from around the country, if they recur, we say, let's do a short course of Vanco, maybe seven, ten days. And we've been lucky. They've called back and said that did the trick. So you haven't had to actually do kind of a dual transplants, meaning one and then a second one? Correct. I have not. Having said that, we did one lady twice, spread three years apart. So she had C. diff. We stopped it. She had chronic cellulitis and breast reconstruction from a breast cancer. So she required multiple plastic surgeries and course of antibiotics. And a few later, years later, she started all over again. And we successfully treated her a second time. But those were two separate infections spread by a couple of years. Why, if it's so good, isn't this procedure more widely used? Well, I think there's two main reasons. Number one is, of course, the aesthetics of it. So taking somebody's donor stool and putting it in your stomach just doesn't have mass appeal, of course. And second of all is that we published the 18 cases initially, and it was just an experience. You know, it was just a, a chart review, a retrospective look, and that was published in 2003. And nothing more on this has been published so although it was kind of exciting in 2003, one of, some of our critics say, you're not publishing anymore. Obviously, there's nothing good to say about it. So part of it is just getting the word out in both in how we're doing tonight with the venue we're doing tonight as well as writing it up in a scientific publication. You and I have been around long enough to know that when there are new treatments, especially those that may not be mainstream, they're considered controversial and people have doubts. But frankly, many of these treatments end up being very effective. I guess we'll take the synopsis or story of Helicobacter pylori as a good example of what everybody didn't believe in but ended up being a real problem. Yes, exactly. Well, how about 
stool transplant for other infections or disorders. I'm, I'm thinking like perhaps, and this may be simplistic, diverticulitis or some other infectious diarrhea. That is a very good question. And as of date, we have not explored that. There is some talk about the role of C. diff or even altered intestinal biome in things such as Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. And although we haven't explored it, in the literature there's a few case reports of people using a stool transplant for ulcerative colitis. And that is an area that certainly deserves in time some thought and some consideration because, you know, we're treating more than C. diff when we do this. We're, we're using a whole healthy stool. And so it's, it's a very broad treatment for one bacteria. So it's going to affect the whole flora in the colon and intestines. What's your been in your experience with family members, meaning do you see any cross-contamination, meaning somebody has C. diff and you get a stool from a family member and lo and behold, they have some spores or C. diff? Do you know what? 52 that I've been involved with, only once have I found a potential donor to be positive for C. diff. That, it's just not real common. That's, that's unbelievable. It is unbelievable, and it, it, there's probably some scientific clue in there somewhere. But the spouses tend to, to just do very well. And a lot of the spouses have been tested along the way. For instance, if a wife has had recurrent C. diff, they say, why do I keep getting it? They actually do check usually the spouses, the household members, to make sure somebody isn't shedding asymptomatically. So the people I'm involved with, we just don't run into that. I'd like to thank my guest from St. Mary's Duluth Clinic Health System, Dr. Timothy Rubin. Dr. Rubin, thank you very much for being our guest this week on GI Insights. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure, and thank you for having me on. You have been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America, Incorporated. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA. Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America is proud to sponsor this important and quality programming for ReachMD listeners. Takeda does not control the editorial content of this broadcast. The views expressed are solely those of the guests who are selected by the AGA Institute. Based in Deerfield, Illinois, Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America is a wholly owned subsidiary of Takeda Pharmaceutical Company Limited, the largest pharmaceutical company in Japan. In the United States, Takeda markets products for diabetes, insomnia, wakefulness, and gastroenterology, and is developing products in the areas of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and other conditions. Takeda is committed to striving toward better health for individuals and progress in medicine by developing superior pharmaceutical products. To learn more about the company and its products, visit www.tpna.com.